Welcome to the Friends of a Feather podcast, a place where you will feel encouraged by hearing God's stories from my friends that I share with you. Whether you're listening on your commute to work, folding the laundry, or needing a boost of encouragement after a full day, I want for you to feel seen by God, to be encouraged in your daily life, and be spurred on to honor Him with the gifts and talents that He has given you. Well, hey friend, it's Wren Robbins, and this summer has been such a great way for me to do a reset in my own heart, in my life, and I hope this podcast series has been helpful to you as well. So last time we were together, you heard from Bible teacher Iva May. In that episode, Iva shared with us an incredible way to read the Bible as a story. We then talked about priorities, and yes, I teared up, y'all. It was really good stuff. You can listen to that episode number 136 on my website at wrenrobbins.com. Thanks for your feedback on this series so far. I have heard from some of you that you are listening to each episode twice. I mean, number one, thank you so much. That is amazing. And number two is I can totally relate because even when I'm editing, I've as episode for instance, I will hear things that I missed the first time around. So I think that is awesome. I can't wait for y'all to hear about today's episode. So let's jump in. Today's guest is David Thomas. David is the Director of Family Counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. He is a husband, dad to three, a speaker, writer, author, family therapist, and dad to his therapy dog, Owen. I love hearing from David because he's so helpful. He is full of biblical wisdom, and I walk away empowered in my parenting skills. So, little fun fact, David and I were supposed to record in person in the spring while he was at a speaking event in Memphis, but then COVID-19 hit, so thankfully we were able to record over Zoom one Saturday morning in April. And early on in the episode, you will hear my son come into my studio, ask me to play with Legos, and David loved it so much, he convinced me to leave that part in. (laughs) It brings all new meaning to bring your son to work day, right? Anyway, it was fun. Okay, so let's get to it. Here is my conversation with David Thomas. Well, hey, David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. This is great. I um, I think other than my husband, you're the first man I've had on the podcast. Am I really? I think so. So there you go. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to hold that place. Okay. Well, good. Well, um, I uh, first heard you. Um, didn't know anything about you. Didn't know about your books. But um, I heard you speak on the God Centered Mom podcast with Heather McFadden years ago. I'm talking years ago when my child was, uh, my son was three. And you, I will never forget where I was standing in the den doing laundry. I think he was at preschool and you, uh, and you were giving information about how to keep our boys active in the winter. And you said, y'all go get you one of those little trampolines. And let me tell you, I turned around that same day and was like, we're getting this for him for Christmas because it was a game changer for me. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I really can't. It means the world to me that you can even remember the moment when oh. 
I was speaking around those things and how it affected you. Thank you. Absolutely. Cause I was desperate and I was like, Oh, we got, we got to do something. And so it was so such a moment. Anyway, I want you to introduce yourself to my listeners. Uh, if they don't know you, I know they probably have, if they have been following me for a minute on Instagram, but if they haven't, will you introduce yourself to them? I will. I am a family therapist. I have been practicing at this amazing place called Daystar Counseling Ministries, where I have been for almost 25 years now. And I love this place. I'm the director of family counseling here, and we serve just the pediatric population. So we see kids from preschool age. I have a couple of colleagues who are play therapists all the way through college age students. And we meet with kids and families on an individual basis. We offer a lot of groups. We do family counseling, and then we do a series of retreats throughout the year as well that are an extension of what we do. And then I've had the great privilege of writing some books and being able to just travel around the country and speak on a range of different topics that relate to parenting and and really take the voices of so many kids and families I've had the privilege of sitting with uh, into a lot of different settings. And, and I'm always quick to say as grateful as I am for my undergrad and my graduate training, I am most grateful for decades of sitting with kids and families that I feel like have taught me more than anything about what it looks like to take this journey forward. So that's really my favorite thing is to, just travel around and talk about what I'm learning from sitting with kids, teenagers and families on a daily basis. And just grateful you'd invite me to come share some of that today. I'm also a a proud husband and a father. I have three children of my own. My oldest is a girl and then I have uh, twin boys. And then I always say I have a, a fourth child. I have a Labrador retriever who is a bit like a handful of a son also, <laughs> but a great, great addition to my home and, and actually to my work. He's a, a therapy dog, which I didn't mention when I was talking a little bit about the work I do. That's maybe a snapshot of how we do the work we do differently. We use therapy dogs as a part of our mm. process here and we're located in a house rather than an office. So every part of the work we do is, is, is very different. It was very thought through in terms of how could we help kids feel as comfortable as possible coming into this space and just being able to talk about the things that are going on in their lives. Hmm. Well, this is perfect. My son has never um, interrupted an interview and he just came in. Can you go find your dad? I love it. Okay. Yeah. This is first time ever, ever. This was the perfect interview to come into. Yes. Thank goodness. He's making me feel at home. He really is. You want to say hi and then you got to go see dad. Okay. Okay, Let me see this, this cool Mr. guy. David. Can you say hey? This is hey, Easter. buddy. It's so good to meet you. You're making me feel so comfortable. I feel the most at home when I'm getting to hang out with boys, and so I love that you walked in the room. There you go. Okay, what you need, baby? I need you to help me get a bucket. Okay, I'll do. I'll help you with those in a little bit. Okay, close the door. Okay, bless them. Okay. <laughs> This help, is help me so with the Legos. I'm like, okay, well, the Legos can wait, baby. Okay. Anyway, he is Woo. living the message we're about to talk around. Exactly. I love it. Totally. Um, well, and I love, I've seen you in person. I've heard you speak in person and it's, um, I mean like totally writing notes like crazy because of what you have to offer. And I love, I love everything about Daystar. I love everything that you have written. I've listened to your podcast with Sarah Bragg when you and Sissy and I think, um, Melissa Trevathan did that. And, and 
it's just, it's so helpful that you are out there doing this for parents that are just needing direction. I mean, we all need direction. And so I'm so excited you're here. I have a few questions. Um, we are in my health and wellness series this summer. And uh, I want to ask you a few things about how we can parent from a healthy place in order for our kids to be healthy and then in order for our families to be healthy. You have written a book, Are My Kids on Track? And that is what um, I believe both seasons of the podcast has been about. What do kids need to be on track emotionally if, as we are coming out of the COVID-19 and what are we needing them to be? How do we know they're, they're on track emotionally? Well, I want to say before I even answer that, not just how grateful I am you'd invite me to be a part of today's conversation, but in particular, the series, like, I don't think we can be talking too much about health and wellness. And clearly that's the work I do. So thank you that you're wanting to, to really highlight what I think is such an important conversation and that we could be talking about it on behalf of the kids we love, because as, as you well know, you know, the statistics that exist right now at this moment in time are so scary in terms of all the destructive paths, not just that adults are moving in an effort to try to numb out whatever it is that they're feeling that's hard to work with, but kids and adolescents. I mean, we have the highest rates in our country of Childhood anxiety is considered to be an epidemic in our country. We have the highest rates of adolescent depression. We have the highest rates of adolescent substance abuse, self-harm, suicide. I could go on and on. Just, you know, the common denominator in all those things being we're trying desperately to shut down or to numb out what it is that we're feeling that we just can't deal with and can't work with. So I don't think this conversation could be any more important. I really don't. And it's right. part of why we even birthed that book, Are My Kids on Track? And we break down four emotional, four social, and four spiritual milestones that we want to see the kids we love progressing toward and that we were seeing as a practice that kids were moving toward less and less than at any other time and doing this work. And so we really just start out defining four emotional milestones, you know, what are they? And then we talk uniquely about the stumbling blocks for boys to getting there and the stumbling blocks for girls, you know, what are the things that get in the way unique to gender? And then what are the building blocks? And then every chapter ends with 10 practical ideas, things you could be doing in your home every day to help kids develop in those ways. And we talk about the milestones like muscles and that for some kids, they're just weaker. For some kids, they're more well-developed and wherever kids fall along that spectrum, we can help the muscle get stronger. And so the four emotional that, we talk about and introduce in the front side of that book are the, the milestone of vocabulary. So really just developing emotional literacy, figuring out what it is that I feel and how to accurately define that. And I highlight that because that's probably one of the areas where we're seeing the greatest evidence of struggle right now. You know, I think about, I was about to say when you and I grew up, but you are clearly so much younger than I am. When I was growing up, I don't think you know, so. If kid, and this may have been true for you, you know, if, if you felt really mad at your parents, if you were just churning inside and wanted to say something that would get their attention, you know, most kids my age would say, "I'm going to run away from home," mm -hmm. and I haven't heard a kid say that or a parent report that in probably the last ten years. I'm going to run mm -hmm. away from home. You know, mm -hmm. now what we know that kids. And adolescents will say, is, I'm going to kill myself. Mm. 
You know, think about the language of that. I rarely anymore hear kids say, I feel worried. They just go ahead and say, I have anxiety. They don't say, I feel sad. They say, I feel depressed. You know, they don't say, I had a, I had conflict with my friend. They say, I've been bullied. We, we attach this really strong language. And hear me say, I want to issue this disclaimer. There are absolutely some kids out there, clearly, who are anxious, who meet the criteria for an anxiety disorder. Some kids who are genuinely depressed. Some kids who have been bullied. And there are a lot of kids who are just experiencing some intense sadness and some excessive worry and some heightened conflict. So that's part of why we start with vocabulary, of just how can we define accurately what it is that we're feeling and how can we develop an expansive, broad emotional vocabulary so that I can articulate all the different experiences that I have in life. So that's really where it starts. And we're such advocates of we wish every family had a feelings chart somewhere in their home. We have those available on our website. You don't have to get ours. Just find one that you can use as a point of reference to help kids develop an emotional vocabulary. We then move toward the milestone of perspective. And perspective is maybe a bit like the pain scale in the ER. You know, when the ER doc says, I need you to tell me where's your pain and that we need to accurately be able to define our pain so that he or she can accurately treat that pain. And the same is true for the events of life. We need to accurately categorize those. So I want to make sure that in life, a one is losing my car keys and a 10 is losing a family member. And I don't want to be slamming up against 10 with every event in life. And there again, we're seeing kids day in and day out who are living in the seven to 10 range. All events register. They have these strong emotional reactions to the most insignificant events because they can't accurately categorize life. So that's the milestone of perspective. And then the third milestone is the milestone of empathy. And that is being able to read and respond to the emotions in others. Empathy is this well-researched foundational ingredient in all healthy interpersonal relationships. I mean, we have researched that one like crazy. Mm. And it is. It's a game-changing ingredient. So we want to see kids developing that. And then the fourth and final milestone, emotional milestone, is the milestone of resourcefulness. And that's learning to take the emotion to something constructive. So back to where we started, those scary statistics. How can I figure out what to do with these feelings? Because we are all feeling creatures. We talk about that right out of the gate. And we give examples of how Jesus and his humanity all throughout scripture felt so many things. And we're made as image bearers, so we're going to be full of emotions. You know, think about the encounter Jesus has with the tax collectors in the temple when he finds out they're using that space for not what it was intended to be used for. And we're told he felt anger. And his mm -hmm. response to that and think about his response to the disciples in the garden when he's afraid and he says, stay awake with me and they go to sleep. We know that he's feeling loneliness and fear, so many different things. Think about his encounter with his dear friend, Mary, in the face of losing her brother, Lazarus. And when she comes to him and says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we're told that he felt he was deeply stirred and troubled and his response to her was weeping empathy in the presence of this dear friend who lost her brother, even in the face of knowing what he was about to do next. He was about to raise that man from the dead. His death wouldn't be true. And yet still in the face of her loss, our savior chose to weep with her. And so those are just a handful of the many examples we get throughout scripture of we're made as feeling creatures. Our job is, this is kind of how we summarize all of the emotional milestones. Our job is just to figure out what do we feel and what to do with it.
Mm. And that sounds so simple, but clearly those statistics are communicating. We're not getting it. We're just not getting there. Not kids, not adolescents and not adults. And so in the introduction of this book, before we introduce any of the milestones, we talk about how we can only take the kids we love as far as we've gone ourselves. And it's part of why I'm so incredibly grateful you are doing this series and really pressing into this space with parents first. That's where we start to, it's got to start with us. If, if I don't have a well-developed resourcefulness muscle, if I can't regulate my own emotions, how in the world am I going to teach the kids I love to do that? Because the research also tells us time and time again that kids learn more from observation than information. They learn way more from watching us than hearing from us. So if we can't do it in front of them, mm-hmm. if we don't have an emotional vocabulary, if I can't categorize life accurately, if I can't respond to the emotions of others, if I can't regulate myself, it's going to be near to impossible for them to learn to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's got to start. I agree. I agree. And I, I so many good things in that. And just that it's the relationship, like you said, with empathy, with Jesus doing that, that it's about relationship and it's about what we can do in our heart, what Jesus can do with us so that we can pass it on to our kids. And that can be in any realm that can be with getting in the word or our prayer life, but especially like with self-regulation, I I think of that as well. I think about when I'm about to lose it and I'm thinking, okay, what is this going to teach? Is this going to teach that I can't self-regulate that I can't use self-control, you know? And so, and there we're human and those times are going to come, but it is, it is a sobering thought. And it's, it's great though, that we can make a change, you know, absolutely. that is the cool part about it. Absolutely. I parents will say often things in my office, you know, things like I'm trying so hard not to be so angry. I'm trying so hard not to lose it. And, and I'm always quick to push back and say, you know what, you're just going to feel anger. It's, it's a human experience and you're sure going to feel it in the context of parenting. There's just going to be so many moments that are going to take us to places where we're emotionally charged. Throw in the towel on that. Don't, don't hold yourself hostage to not feeling anger let the objective be when I feel anger and I'm, am I modeling something helpful? Mm. When I feel sadness, am I modeling something helpful? Let that become the new objective, how we frame those experiences. Because again, our kids need to see it and, and think about it in the same way of, you know, how we were all taught that, you know, it's helpful when kids can see conflict. Now, obviously, you know, again, back to the one to 10 scale, I don't want kids sitting front row to, eight to 10 conflict between parents on a daily basis. That's not what I'm talking about, but we want kids to experience their parents disagreeing and then moving toward reconciliation. What does it look like to compromise and sacrifice and apologize and repent all those things? If they don't get to see that, they don't know how to do conflict in their own relationships. So it's the exact same thing. Like Mm. they need to see us experiencing anger and sadness and fear and all of these things. And here we are right now in the middle of a, quarantine and our kids are getting to sit front row to more than they've ever seen at this point when uh, when at uh, no other time in history Mm. have parents been home as much and we've all been in the house together so there's a lot of opportunity a lot Mm -hmm. of opportunity and so I I hope we're learning I hope we're growing I hope we're failing and repenting and taking steps back and taking steps forward in this process of of opportunity that's been given to us in this time and again why I'm just so grateful you're putting a spotlight on this conversation. Well, and I love that you're saying, look at it as an opportunity, you know, and, and to see, you know, this is a time when we're all 
um, in close and tight quarters. And, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, they're going to see if, if your faith, faith is real or not, you know, like yes. we have this scripture on our wall. That's uh, Joshua one, nine, be strong and courageous. And we taught him that a couple of years ago. And, um, every night for probably a month, we would just say it over and over. And now we were on the trampoline. The right. Now we have a big one. Cause listen, I'm going all in with this trampoline situation. I'm like, Good David's in my you. head from years ago. He was out on the trampoline in the rain. I'm like, yep, it's fine. Rain, come rain, sleet, snow, whatever. We're out <laughs> on it. But anyway, um, he was jumping and he wanted me to do a trick or something. And I'm like, I just turned 40, buddy. I'm after 40, things don't go as well. You know? like, I don't need to go to the ER with a broken arm because of all this happening, you know? And so, but it, I, I did it. But at first I was like, I'm really kind of scared Easton. And he was like, be strong and courageous, you know? And so it was just mm. like, thank you Lord for that just split moment that I can see. Yes. Oh, he does get it. He does hear. And let's model that in front of them and say, you know, I'm scared to do this silly trick on the trampoline. Um, and then I did it and I said, I, yay, I did it. And then he could see that we're overcoming our fear too. We're not just, yes. you know, going in. And I remember the first time when it was, like when I just realized how much of in control I really am not. And in your book, Wild Things has been um, such a resource for me as uh, a mom of a boy. And I want to read a quote that you wrote. Uh, and it says, a boy must be, it's talking about protecting him from the pain of life. And you said, a boy must be engaged with and directed in an ongoing and intimate relationship with himself, with others, and with God. It is our job to draw him out and help him to keep his heart. Mm. What are some ways we can draw him out? I would say quite honestly, you set the stage beautifully without even knowing it when you shared that story about the trampoline, because that to me is such a picture of it on, on so many levels. One, that you were doing something physical with him. And you and I laughed on the front side of, of our conversation just about the trampoline and movement. I mean, I talk all throughout that book about the importance of movement and, and that boys are wired to be active moving creatures. So anytime we can be engaged with him in movement, whether it's taking a walk right now in the middle of quarantine, walking the dog, throwing the tennis ball with the dog, jumping on the trampoline, shooting hoops. If you don't want to shoot hoops, just go out and retrieve the ball while he's shooting hoops. But do you notice that every one of those examples involves movement of some kind? Mm. And that's part of the strategy of engagement with boys because eye to eye can feel threatening to him. So saying things like, let's sit down and talk <laughs> is automatically triggering some fear inside of him or mm. sometimes some shame, you know, this mm. sense of I did something wrong, what's going to happen? And so talking shoulder to shoulder is much safer for him. It's why so many moms will report to me. I have my best conversations with him at night because it's dark and he's turned toward the window and I'm scratching his back while he's in bed. And I'm like, of course, because it's safe. That's not eye to eye. It doesn't feel threatening. And the same when we're walking along. And I had a mom say to me years ago, David, I've been thinking a lot about you talking your, your encouragement to talk with boys side by side. And I've been thinking it's kind of like tricking him into talking. And I'm like, oh, absolutely it is. <laughs> and I said, yeah. and I do it all day long in my office. If I were to just sit across from a young man in my office, in my chair and him on the couch, like I'd get access to probably 20 to 30% of what I want to get access to. Mm. But if we're building a Lego project together, 
but we're outside behind my office shooting hoops and I'm retrieving the ball. Like it's fascinating what I can get access to. And so I would say start there. And then I would say, you know, engaging himself and his heart. I love when you took advantage of that moment, just to name your own fear. And I think starting there gives boys so much space and permission. So before we'd even start to name what we believe he's feeling and experiencing, if we go there first, it's such a gift to him for all the reasons we just named of modeling. But I think it's giving permission. That's another place we're going to have to work harder with boys because we know, you know, culturally your son, my sons are going to be bombarded with messages throughout their growing up that says, you know, feeling sadness, feeling fear is a sign of weakness. Though we've come a long way, we still have so far to go in terms of combating the messages boys get culturally. So they need so much permission from the adults they trust the most in this world to know I felt afraid myself. And then where you moved him toward God, like he moved you toward God because you first moved him there. He's reminding you of that truth. Like my mom and dad have been anchoring me to that truth. Like be strong and courageous and that you all have wisely taught him he can't do that on his own. Mm. Like that's not something he's the capacity to do alone. But as he anchors himself strongly to a bigger source, mm. to God, he has the capacity. He's put that in him to mm. face fear with strength and courage. Mm. So, but even there, you know, I think there's so many layers of great message you've been giving your son. I mean, this reality that again, as we've been discussing, we're going to feel fear. Fear isn't a bad thing to experience. The world's going to tell you you shouldn't as a male. I'm here to tell you you will. And the man I hope you most model your life after felt fear. And again, read that account with him with the disciples. Can mm. you feel all the evidence of Jesus' fear? Can you imagine what kind of fear he felt in that moment? Again, giving him so much space and permission. And then we're moving him toward what do we do in those moments? Who do we anchor to? What's helpful? that's a question I've been asking a lot of boys throughout quarantine. Like what's helping you right now? When you feel stress register inside your body, we'll talk about how it registers in their bodies. How can they tell? And we all experience emotions differently in our bodies, but we experience them in our bodies. And then back to resourcefulness. What are you doing? What's helping? What's not helping? Mm. What have you tried? That's not making a difference. Not even making a dent in it. And I talk a lot with boys about how regulation is effortful. So that's how you'll know a difference. Like drinking, numbing out with pornography, binging on some show, like none of that involves effort of any kind. Mm. And it's why we can get some temporary fix from that. We're going to feel relief and distraction temporarily, but nothing lasting. But where we're going to experience lasting effects is in when it's effortful. When I go to a trusted source like my mom and dad and I talk and I say I'm afraid and I'm carrying a lot of stress inside my body and here's how it's registering and I'm worried about these things about COVID-19 like do you see the effort in that that's so different than just those numbing agents and so that's a lot of times how I have parents will ask me questions like how do I help him know how to develop a list of things that are useful versus those that aren't because generally speaking we are all vulnerable to just engaging and numbing engaging with numbing agents as opposed as opposed to moving toward effortful mm-hmm. regulation coping strategies well and it's what like comes natural to us is not to do that like when i'm trying right. to you know it's not it's an it's it's you got to work hard i mean just when you have a thought that is not god honoring or or whatever you have to take that thought captive so it's it's hard work 
Absolutely. There it is. Even think about the language that take the thought captive. That's effortful. Like mm-hmm. that involves some kind of action of some kind. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. That's good. That's absolutely so good right. to teach our boys that. I love that. Um, I mean, I could just sit here and be like, hey, let's go through a little counseling stage right here with Ren. Because literally, you know, I'm in the bathroom yesterday and, you know, I hear my name called like 10 times and I'm like, I'm in the bathroom. I mean, we're just not going to be perfect, you know, like it's not. But but they need it. And then he'll say, you raised your voice. Well, yeah, because you didn't listen. But, you know, that's where it's like, OK, you know, let's go back to, well, mom you know, needed, needed her privacy. <laughs> yes. And, and, yes. you know, and walk through that. I mean, in that scenario, what would you say for me to do besides yelling, I'm in the bathroom because exactly. that's where I, I was and I just needed a few minutes quiet. Absolutely. And even there, I think the stage is set in those moments. I challenge parents to say, what can I model? Like mm. jumping off in the exact way you did and owning and, and naming what had happened. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did raise mm-hmm. my voice. Mm-hmm. And the reason was because I need some time using that as an opportunity. I feel stress inside my body right now. I need some alone time. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take a walk around the neighborhood. Obviously, if you're a parent listening and your children are too young for you to leave them in the house, I'd walk around the house. I had a mom say the other day, I did 20 laps up and down the steps of my house because I can't leave, but I needed to do the stairs. Nice. And I'm like, good for you. Just makeshift in those moments. And to know that when we separate out from our kids, whether it's, you know, if we only get five moments or if we can get 45 minutes, mm. that sets the stage for regulation. Them having to attend to themselves, them having to soothe themselves. Like there's so much good happening in those moments. We don't want to be available. We talk about ATM parenting and are my kids on track? We don't want kids to be making withdrawals from us 24 seven. We cannot be that available. One, it's not healthy and helpful for us as we're discussing. Mm-hmm. Two, it's not healthy and helpful for them. Mm. So when, when we talk about these effortful practices, we're real advocates and are my kids on track of having kids develop a list of coping skills and us develop a list of coping skills. And I've even challenged parents in this season, what are your quarantine skills? Because obviously some of the things that may have been on your list, like I have a lot of parents who'd say going to the gym is one of their coping skills. Okay. The gyms are closed. So how do we rework the list to honor the fact that quarantine is and you know for example mine like going to exercise is a great outlet back to the movement piece for us as males I don't have that option so I set up a little makeshift gym in our garage at this Mm -hmm. point and I'll say to my family I need a little time I'm going to go out to the garage for a few minutes right now and everybody knows what that means and so thinking about what that looks like and if we have a list that our kids can see again we're modeling for them this is what it looks like grown-ups have emotions these are my to-do things when I need to regulate, when I feel stress inside my body and I need to work through something. Mm. You can even say that could be your code word. Like I'm going to check my list right now. I'm going to work with my list right mm. now. I'll be back in 15 minutes. I'll be back in 30 minutes. I'm unavailable for this period of time. That's so good because I think as moms, we feel guilty. We feel yes. we go through that guilty and the shame on us saying, well, but I'm here. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be 
getting things for him to do and being his playmate, especially I have an only child. So that's another thing that we're having, but I think it's so important. So very important that we have things that have nothing to do with our children that we are investing in that if it's a side business or if it's a ministry or if it's just even sitting down to read a book, you know, things that we are, that they know that our world does not revolve around them. Yes. And it's hard as an only child mom, it is very difficult, but it has, has to be intentional. It really yes. does. Or you're going to suffer. I mean, parents, we would suffer. Absolutely. Moms are going to suffer. So. Well, and, and what I would add to that is, is, you know, as we have this conversation about health and wellness, not only is that needed for your well-being, but we talk at length, I'll just give the cliff notes first, but we talk at length throughout Are My Kids on Track about the most instinctive thing for kids is a pattern we call anchoring. And kids will anchor primarily to moms. They'll do it with dads as well, but moms are just such easy targets. And sometimes <laughs> it's about accessibility. A lot of times it's just about the safety they experience in relationship with you. And what I want to say to moms is any that are listening in this moment, hear me giving you even further permission to disengage with kids. Because if that pattern of anchoring, if I just go to my mom every time I feel bored, every time I feel afraid, every time I feel stressed, every time I feel sad and anchor to her, we are in essence becoming our kids resourcefulness. I had a mom say one time, well, my colleague, Sissy Goff says, we're so busy being our kids resources. They don't develop resourcefulness. And we had a mom friend who said, I wish my mom had spent, she's an adult now. I wish my mom had spent more time saying you've got this rather than let me get this for you. Mm. Isn't that profound? And if we're living in a posture of let me get this for you, let me be your playmate, let me help you figure out what to do in boredom, let me help you work through the anger, let me help you, however you finish that sentence, there's just no space to develop resourcefulness. And we're strengthening the pattern of anchoring that they always need a person or something to work it through. They don't have the internal resources to do that. And those are the kids, honestly, I'm the most worried about. And that's an easy, accessible outlet in our country that millions, according to the statistics, are finding their way to mm. some kind of substance that helps them be able to numb out temporarily because they cannot work with what's going on internally. They don't have the resources. So mm. there's even more permission I hope parents feel of. David's giving me permission to disengage because not only do I not need to be their playmate all the time, but I need to create more space for them to have to, to interrupt the pattern of anchoring so that they're developing more resourcefulness. Mm, That's so good. That's, that was for me right there. (laughs) Just getting that permission. I just, that's, that's huge. That is huge. So, um, okay. I have tons more, but we're going to do one more question and then we're going to get to our eat, read, love. This is so, so, so good. And I, I encourage everybody to go and get, the book are my kids on track. I encourage, I'll put all this in the show notes, especially the um, podcast episodes that y'all have done um, on our, are my kids on track and season one and season two. It is a wealth, a wealth of information that is at our fingertips that uh, I feel like I need to re-listen to a lot of this, of this because it's just so helpful. How can we get these resources and what do you have available? RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. Everything I do is on RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. The we've written every season of our podcast is housed there. We are getting ready to uh, put some video content on there. The reality of 
COVID-19 as you and I record this is that I'm not traveling as much. And we had a lot of, of churches and schools that were bringing us in to speak and wanting some video content to offer their parents. So we're working to get that up. And hopefully maybe even by the time this airs, that will be available. So yes, if you just went there, every resource, we have a blog, it links to our social media accounts as well. And we do a lot of giveaways. We're all about giving free stuff away. So if you'll follow us, particularly on Instagram, and again, all that's available on the website, uh, we love to give free stuff away. That's great. So good. So good. Such a great resource that I have been to your website many, many times. So, okay. Well, I'm going to ask you one question, then we're going to do Eat, Read, Love. But, you know, I know that there are, I have friends that have seniors in high school. Um, We have, you know, I have a seven-year-old, but kids that are outgoing, that they're not able to see their friends. What is one thing you would encourage us as moms, as parents with in the fact of our kids? of our kids and the grief that we're kind of experiencing? It's mm, a great question. I'd, I'd say first off, I'm so heartbroken for seniors. Um, mm. As, as we record this, I have a child who's a freshman in college and twin boys who are juniors in high school. And so we missed this year by one year. And I think about what would this have felt like to have not had all those moments with my daughter last year as a senior in high school, what would it feel like tonight get to have these moments with my sons next year? And so I'm so heavy hearted for those kids and for those parents. And we in my household are, we have been strategizing um, with so many seniors in our lives. What are ways that we can celebrate them right now? Like what are really creative, intentional ways that we can get so over the top. Um, and, and so I would challenge any family listening, even in summer, like, let it carry on. These kids were so shortchanged and all that they missed in the last half of their senior year. Like, let's keep it going. Like, let's mm-hmm. let their launch into college just be out of the stratosphere. Just keep it going. And I, I highlight that because that's one of the ingredients in particular. I think every one of us is needing meaning and purpose right now to be able to navigate this season. And so when we're thinking about other people, when we're thinking about these seniors, as you and I discuss them, it creates so much meaning and purpose for us as a family to be thinking about all the different ways that we could celebrate them. But I would say for any parent who's sitting with a kid who's struggling, whether they're a senior in high school or a second grader, just you know, struggling with worry about what this virus means and could I catch it? We talk a lot and on my kids on track about an equation we love called empathy and questions. And I think it's one of the safest places we can land safest places we can land as parents of, you know, just saying to a senior, like, what is it like for you right now? We're three weeks away from graduation and you still don't know if you're going to be able to walk or what that's going to look like. Um, And then moving toward questions, what do you need? And what I love about moving toward questions is it takes me out of the giving advice, takes me out of the assuming I know what you feel. It takes me as a male, I'm going to speak for myself as a male, we're such problem solvers and that's where we can instinctively go. And I think that's so dismissive to people who are sitting in pain and heartache and struggle that I just start problem solving them through it as opposed to just sitting with them in it. And Mm so empathy and questions is a place I'd start. And then I'd say purpose and meaning is where I'd land. Like, what do you want to do with that? And so, you know, part of the purpose and meaning could come out of asking the questions, what do you need? And then we could start to define some meaning and purpose out of their answer to that. Mm. What would be helpful in this moment? So I would say if you're a parent of young children listening right now and you have a high school babysitter who's a senior in high school, like I would 
devote so much time, energy, and creativity working with your young kids to figure out ways that you could celebrate them, like the care package of the century. You know, we can still send things through the mail or, you know, I love the drive-bys that are happening, but just thinking uniquely about the extra time and space we've been given right now and how we can find purpose and meaning in that. That's so good. So good. Such great advice. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Okay. So last fun question. Thank you so much for all of this insight and wisdom. And I could talk to you all day, obviously. Um, you'd have to charge me like a whole lot <laughs> for some counseling sessions. I would. I would love to do this again. We'll do it again. Okay. Okay. But um, what I always ask my guests, what are you eating, reading and loving? So share with us. I'm all about the snacks. So. Oh my goodness. So am I. See, I knew I liked you already, but the <laughs> fact that you have a regular question that involves what are you eating? You're, you're my people. Yes. I'm yes. sad to report like many people in quarantine, I'm eating everything in sight. I'm, yes. I, my wife laughed the other day and she was like, you're kind of turning into a baker and you're not a baker at all. But I'm like, yes, it's because I want carbohydrates all the time. <laughs> My my only trick, and I'm not even convinced it's working, but it's helping me mentally, is that I'm sneaking vegetables into my carbohydrates as often as possible. So like I made zucchini bread the other day. And I I mean, I'm a regular on sneaking kale and spinach into smoothies, but I'm trying to take it into my baking. Okay. I even made the other night sweet potato chocolate chip cookies. What? Yeah. Is that a and thing? It is a thing. You can find a recipe online. And okay. again, it wasn't the best chocolate chip cookie I've had in my life by any stretch, but it helped me mentally because yeah. I've been through like four weeks of making them every other day and I don't need them anymore. So I'm like, hey, what if I throw a sweet potato in there? I feel like I'm getting my vegetables. So I'm eating everything in sight is That's the awesome. summary. And you asked, the second part was, what am I reading? Reading. Mm. I would say that's one of the best things that's come out of quarantine for me mm -hmm. is I live with a big stack of books by my bed. I'm an avid reader. I have been my whole life. And yet with work and travel, I haven't gotten to as many of those and I'm just tearing through them. I just finished trying to read a lot of fiction right now, play catch up on some fiction. I just finished a beautiful book called Where the Crawdads Sing. Uh -huh. which I think I'm a little late to the party because a lot of folks had read that. It's beautiful coming mm -hmm. of age story. And mm -hmm. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Couldn't recommend that enough. And then what was the last part? What were you love? What are you loving? I am loving being home more as someone who travels is a big part of the work I do. I haven't been home for every weekend for two straight months in almost a decade. I mean, it's been a long time. I travel a lot and, and I love it and I'm so grateful for it and feel called to it. But I have loved this time at home. And um, my daughter, like every college student, is home right now. You know, she can't be on campus. And I'm really sad for her. Mm -hmm. And I'm really happy for me. <laughs> yeah. Whisper that because I'm mostly sad for her. But oh my goodness, I love this mm -hmm. kid like crazy. And I missed her so much this year while she's been away at school. And so having her home for this time has just been this incredible mm -hmm. gift. So I've loved that. And even as I say that, I, I always want to say that with the acknowledgement of, I know that being home is hard for a lot of families. So I'm incredibly grateful, even as you ask that, that I can say I'm 
loving being home and I'm thankful for the safety of, of my home, but I want to always acknowledge that that's not the case for every family right now. And so there again, meaning and purpose. I want to, I want to allow the, this, the experience of gratitude I have for being home to move me toward praying for folks who aren't experiencing that safety right now, even in our city, as you and I record this, Nashville just had a series of tornadoes that tore through our city weeks ago and, and through our state a week ago. And, Chattanooga and different parts. So there are just a lot of folks who don't even have a home to live in right now um, because of the tornadoes, because of homelessness. And so I want even that to move me toward a lot of meaning and purpose right now feels important. And there again, my challenge to every parent, our kids are going to learn more about it, what it looks like, what it is like to be people who believe the gospel is true by living that in front of them. And we've been given so much opportunity right now, whether it's our high school babysitter or folks who don't have a home right now because they lost it in a tornado. There is so much opportunity for meaning and purpose around us right now. And I hope our kids are getting to see us live as people who believe the gospel is true by doing that right in front of them. Mm, so mm. I'm so grateful for the message of your podcast that I feel like is all about that. And just that you'd invite me to be a part of this conversation today. Thank you. Well, thank you. This was incredible. And I'm so grateful for you to come and share with us your, your knowledge, your wisdom uh, with us about health and wellness and how to be parents who are healthy uh, emotionally. And then we can pass that on to our kids. So I really appreciate you coming on as well. Thank you. I'd love to do it again. Y'all, thanks so much for joining us in this conversation. And if you liked what you heard, I would love for you to screenshot your screen right now and send it to Insta Stories or on Facebook Stories or send to a friend over text. Tag us at Raising Boys and Girls and at Friends of a Feather Podcast. I know David would enjoy seeing that on Instagram and I would love to see it as well. Y'all, that's going to do it for this episode today. I'll see you next time when I get to chat with Katherine Parks. Katherine will be encouraging us in our friendships and how it all starts with repentance. You are going to want to tune in to Katherine's episode. I have never looked at friendships the way I do now after reading her book and after speaking with her. So you're going to not want to miss that. And remember, we are all friends of a feather, so let's stick together. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Bye, friend.